Open in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll get there in a moment. As, as that has been shared with you, I hope you've been encouraged. I know some of us have our kids already raised and they're out of the home, like Lorraine was speaking about. Um, and so maybe it doesn't touch us now immediately, but can't you, can't you be amazed at what God is doing in this ministry? And I think we all understand how important the children are and how, how, how good it is to get a hold of their young hearts at a young age and teach them the Bible. Not just Bible stories, but as you heard, the story of the Bible about Jesus and why he came and why he died and rose again on the third day and, and how they can grow in that. So I'd encourage you, if you've been praying, to continue praying. If you have not been praying, start, Right? And uh, we just want to see what the Lord is going to do. And, and, and so along these lines, I, I just wanted to share with us once again the vision of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Um, this stuff fits right in line with what we have set out as a vision. Now, uh, I, I want to say a few prerequisite things here. First of all, maybe you haven't heard much about our vision. Perhaps you've seen it on the bulletin where it says... We want to be a church family building great families. Perhaps you've seen that, but you haven't heard much about it. Uh, perhaps you've heard about it and you're still uncertain as to what that means. Guess what? <laughs> I'm uncertain exactly all that that means as well. But we can say this, that the elders, the leadership have prayed, have sought the Lord, and we really believe as we look around our culture, not just here in Jefferson County, but throughout the nation of America, we realize how, how much the family has broken down and how that has led to many other issues in our culture. And so what we are thinking and what we are believing is that God has given us this vision to restore that, to restore the biblical family, to, to help build the family that God designed to be, and, and in that, heal some of these hurting issues that are in America. Now, we might not be able to touch the nation, but we certainly can at least start here in Jefferson County. And so we have had this vision that we are a church family building great families. And if you've seen that, you, you've probably seen at some points this little asterisk by the word great as it is up here. And in parentheses, I have G4 because uh, the term I'm going to use for today is G4 families. And you may be going, what? And that's what I hoped you would do because that means you're listening, right? And if you're listening and you're going, what? then hopefully you'll continue listening to find out what G4 means because that's what our intent, that's our time here this morning as we look at various passages of Scripture and as we define our target. So, so here's, here, if you will, picture this. We have put this vision out there, and what it's really saying is it's asking the Lord, God, as we consider five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, as you would... Uh, leave us here. 
What do you want us to see our church to be? In other words, what's a picture? If we could take a snapshot of our picture of our church rather in five years, what would it look like? And what we're saying is we believe God is leading us to this picture of us being a church family who's unified together in building these great families. So that's the picture. But the question we have to ask is, what are great families? Because if you ask our culture today what a family is and what a great family is, you're going to get a whole bunch of different answers, right? Yeah, you're going to have a whole bunch. We got a TV show called Modern Family, and there's all sorts of dysfunction there in the modern family. And that show is there to say that this is the new family. This is the way family is. This is the way family should be. And what we're saying is, "Uh uh-uh. No, because the Bible has revealed to us what family should look like, what family should be. And so as we take this picture, this snapshot of our church in five years, and we're suggesting again that we be unified in building great families, we need to know what the target is. What is a great family? And that's what I'd like to share this morning. What are G4 families? And I, I would give it to you this way, very, very succinctly. G4 families are those growing in the four greats of Scripture. I want to point you to four different statements in the Bible that we would call greats. We're going to look at the great confession. We're going to look at the great commandment. We're going to look at the great commission, and we're going to look at the great community. All of these things are, are those that we are saying a, a, a family should be growing in. So, are you with me? Is it making sense so far? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into Matthew chapter 16. Father God, we thank you so much again that your word is truth. That we don't have to wrestle with what a family should look like based upon the information we're receiving from our culture. But, but we know without a doubt how you have created the family to be. And so, Father, as we consider what it looks like to be a family that is following your word, I, I pray that you would help us understand by your Holy Spirit. But even more importantly, you would help us to live it out by that same Holy Spirit who resides in us. Father, may we continue to be seeking you on our knees as you guide, as you lead in a vision for for Cornerstone. And so, Lord, as we have this, this picture before us, I pray that you would work, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. G4 families are those who are growing in the four greats of Scripture. And the first grade of Scripture is found in Matthew 16, and starting at verse 13. So if you would notice with me, verses 13 on down through verse, uh, uh, well, well, we'll go to verse 16. 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now let's stop for a moment right there. Stop and think about that question. Jesus is with his disciples. He's been with them for a little while now. He's been doing miracles in front of them. They've heard him teach. They've heard him proclaim some incredible things, do some amazing things. 
And he's coming to this point where he asks them this question. And I want us to understand, this is one of the most important questions anybody could ever answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I would submit to you that people all over this nation, all over this world, whether they recognize it or not, are asking themselves that question and even answering them that question, maybe not even realizing it. Who is Jesus? Some would say he's a big fat liar. That all that he said was untrue. That he was calling himself the son of God, the son of man. All these things are ridiculous. Some would say he was crazy. He was a lunatic. He, he said these things thinking them to be true, but he really was out of his mind. He didn't understand what he was doing. But some have to admit he is who he says he is. And so he asked this important question of his disciples who are growing, who are coming to understand who Jesus is. Who do people say that I am? And so they answer him. Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But now he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter, the one who speaks most often for the group of the disciples, speaks and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Dear church, that's the great confession That is it. And notice there's two parts. Peter says, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one, or you are the one that we have been waiting for who would be the Savior. So there are many, perhaps many in this church here today that are recognizing Jesus to be Savior. Yes, I believe he came and he died on the cross for my sins, And he rose again on the third day. He is my Savior. He has saved me from my sin and the consequence of that sin, which is eternal death in hell. I recognize him as Savior. But Peter doesn't stop there. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Savior, the the, the Messiah. But he also says, you are the Son of the living God. Now stop and think about that phrase for a moment. It means today what it meant to the Jewish mindset back then. It means that not only is he a savior, but he is on the same plane as God. No Jew would have made this statement unless they understood the one who was the son of God to be equal with God. So what is this statement about? Peter makes this confession. You are not only savior, the one who saves us from our sin and death, But you are Lord. You are the one that I must follow. You are my master. You are my boss. You are the one who commands and I must do. Peter is making this incredible confession about who Jesus is. And you know what? We individually are called to make that same confession. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But in Romans, Paul says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, confessing him as Lord. So I want to be careful here. Salvation comes through belief and belief alone, not in good works, not in paying money to the church, not in being a good person. Salvation comes through faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus. But 
That faith in Christ Jesus means we also understand who he is. He is the son of the living God. He is Lord. We must follow him as Lord. Therefore, consider a G4 family. A family that not only uh, uh, confesses Jesus as their Savior, but follows him as Lord. They confess Jesus as Savior, but they follow him as a family as Lord. That means that, you know that, that verse, Joshua uh, 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Too many times, dear church, that becomes this pretty little plaque hanging on a wall for decoration. See, a G4 family sees that not only as a pretty little plaque, but actually lives that out. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because he is Lord. We not only receive him as our Savior, but we will follow him together as Lord. And so this family might look like a family that has faith in Jesus and takes that faith seriously. It's not just a Sunday morning faith. It's a faith that goes throughout the whole week. This is a a family who who doesn't always talk about Jesus on Sundays, but mentions him 24-7 throughout the week. And when the kids have issues at school or with other kids or whatever it might be, the parents of a G4 family see this as an opportunity to point their kids to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, That's what a G4 family is. That's the goal. This family that confesses Jesus not only as Savior, but seeks to follow him as Lord. They put Christ in the center of all they do. And I don't have time to go off on this illustration, but I tell you what, too many times children are at the center of the family. Uh Uh-uh. Christ is to be the center of the family. And if you want to talk about that more, come talk to me because I don't have time to go into it. But it's an incredible truth. Jesus needs to be the center. He's the Lord of the G4 family. So this great confession is a confession that a G4 family makes, not just Sundays, but throughout the whole week. But secondly, a G4 family is a family that also follows the second grade in Scripture, and that's found in Matthew chapter 22. Would you turn over to Matthew 22? And beginning at verse 34, Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34, this is what we know as the great commandment. The great commandment. And it starts this way, verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now stop here for a moment. Let's back, give some background. This is a lawyer. In other words, he is an expert in the in interpretation of the Mosaic law. He is one who gave himself over to studying all the commands in the Mosaic law. And by the way, there are 613 commands in the Mosaic law. And one, in order to follow them under the Old Testament law, had to keep all 613 of them, which meant at an early age you started memorizing all 613 laws. And if you you neglected one of them intentionally, there was no forgiveness for that. 
There was no sacrifice for this. that. Sacrifices were for if you unintentionally disregarded the Old Testament law. But 613 had to be obeyed. And so those who knew the Old Testament law, who had memorized it, started asking the question, well, which of these 613 commandments are the greatest? And this one, this rabbi would say this one is, and this rabbi would say this one is. So this lawyer, this one who has given himself over to study the Old Testament law and the interpretation of it, is asking Jesus this question in order to trap him, in order to get him. But what does Jesus say? And he said to him, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus boils it down to two things. Love God and love others. Love God with everything you've got and love others as you already love yourself. Love God, love others. When I was a young boy going to church, I, I remember the first time I heard this in Sunday school because it brought such relief to me. Because as a young boy, I would hear one week, oh, we shouldn't lie. And I'm going, okay, I better not lie. So that week I'd, I'd work on not lying, you know. And then I'd get to church the next week, having not really fulfilled the first one, not really followed through or able to not lie. Then I get to church the next week and I hear another thing. You, you, you shouldn't, you know, talk negatively. Oh, no, now another one. Okay, don't lie. Don't talk. And it started building up in my young little mind. And pretty soon I felt so, so convicted I couldn't do anything right. Well, when this came, when a teacher taught me this in Sunday school, I realized this is it. Jesus boiled all the Old Testament, all 613 commands in the Old Testament down to just two, loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. Jesus himself says it's on these two commandments that all the rest of the laws are fulfilled. If you love God and you love others, you will fulfill all 613 laws. That's what he's saying. And I remember as a young boy going, yes, I can focus on these two. I can remember these two and allow all the others to come together. See, this is a G4 family. A G4 family is a family who is increasing in their love for God, in their love for each other, in their love for God's people, and in their love for the lost. They are loving God. They are loving one another. They're increasing in that love together. I've got to be careful here because it's easy for us to get this mentality that my walk with Jesus Christ is mine alone. It's an individual walk. Well, there's a sense in which that is true. It's my heart. It's my, my seeking after God. But when I'm a part of a family, especially as a husband and as a father, I'm responsible for how that family goes. And I need to be careful that I don't just become so individualistic in my faith that I neglect the rest of my family. And I'm afraid that's what we do too often. So what I'm suggesting today is not only are we individually followers of Jesus called to love God and love others, but as a family we're called to do that as well. 
We need to love God. We need to love others. So imagine a family who, who loves God, who, who studies his word and prays and worships together, who lives out the word in obedience, recognizing that what Jesus said, that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Imagine a family who demonstrates love to one another. Now, some of your parents are going, yeah, right. You haven't seen my kids, how often they fight and don't like each other. Well, imagine. Imagine if God, God's word was taught by you. Imagine if you had opportunity and, and a church family that came alongside and supported you so that your kids were accepting of one another and forgiving each other as they watched you as mom and dad accept one another and forgive each other, love one another. Imagine how your kids would respond if they saw you as parents, not only loving the family, but loving others outside your family and showing that love in active love. I remember two trips that we got to do when our kids were still at home that we sought to demonstrate love together. We got to go to Costa Rica, and we got to work on a Christian school there together as a family. Ah, that brought us together. That was fun to serve the Lord together, to, to love on the people there. And, and then we got to, to go down to uh, Nolens. Did, did I say that right? I'm asking these guys over here because they're from that area. Nolens? Yeah. We got to go to Nolens. And we got to uh, muck out houses together after Hurricane uh, Katrina hit. And as a family, we did that. That does something for your family when you're loving other people like that together. So imagine a G4 family that's loving God and loving others and growing in that. Awesome. So a G4 family follows, uh, is growing rather in the great confession. Now, growing together in the great commandment. But if you'll turn with me to Matthew 28, we're going to look at the great commission. Jesus here has, has risen from the dead. His disciples are uncertain initially, not sure what's going on, what's happening. He had been put on the cross. They had reports of him raising from the dead, and then they saw him. What an amazing thing, but they're still left wondering what to do. And now Jesus comes, and he speaks to them in Matthew 28. Look with me at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. A commission is a, a, a command or an instruction or a duty given to a person or a group of people. It is a task or a matter entrusted to one as an agent for another. So here Jesus is entrusting his followers with this task. Go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And the key verb in these two verses, verses 19 and 20, is make disciples. That's what we're called to do. That's the great commission is to make disciples. The other words, go, baptize, and teach are how we do it. Go as you go. As you go. As you live your life, you should be seeking out other people that you can help grow into a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
as you go. Baptize. When they come to know Christ as their Savior, this idea of baptism is bringing them into the family of God, bringing them in as a child of God into the rest of the church family and teaching them. Notice it's not just teaching them the truths. It's teaching them to observe, to live it out. That's a disciple. So we're called to make disciples. Well, imagine with me a family that is on task of making disciples, that they take every opportunity they can to share the gospel with people and to help people grow in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a family whose, whose goal is to help others know Jesus more and more and more and more and more? What a great thing. What a great thing for kids to see mom and dad with that as their goal. What a great thing for mom and dad to pass that on to their kids. What an incredible opportunity that would be for us as families to raise kids who are disciple makers. And it's only going to happen as that's going on in the home already. They lead or they learn best by example. <laughs> we won't go there. Anyway, but they do. So we want to talk about this great commission. So a family that seizes every opportunity to share the gospel in home, at school, at work, in the community, even at church and in the world. They take opportunity to do that. A family that works together in helping others know and grow in Christ. I was thinking about this in terms of the poor guys that my daughters dated before they were married. My daughters, now, I didn't teach them this. I'm sure it was their mom. <clears throat> they, when they dated somebody, they made sure that that guy was growing in their walk with Jesus. And I felt sorry for some of those guys, to be honest with you, because they wanted them to really grow and to be the spiritual leader of that relationship. But see, that's what we're wanting our kids to do, right? Right? Now, I'm not saying we did everything perfect. Lord knows, I blew it a lot. I'm thankful for Mona, who was able to cover for my mistakes. I'm saying that sarcastically, because we both blow it, and we'll both admit that. But one of the things that is so cool to see was even in that, our daughters wanting whoever they were dating to become more of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we want our families to do. That's what we want our families to be. And so a G4 family not only is growing in the great confession, in the great commandment, in the great commission, but I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and I want you to see the fourth G, the fourth great of G4 families. It's one that probably isn't often used when we talk about the greats. In fact, we often just refer to three greats in Scripture. So as far as I know, I'm suggesting this to us as a fourth great in Scripture. But it speaks volumes, I think. It is a description of the first church there in Jerusalem. You know Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The disciples are together along with uh, many women, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down on them as tongues of fire. And they begin to preach, and they begin to teach, and they begin using languages that they hadn't learned, but that those who were in that community understood because they were from those different areas. 
And this went on, and there was amazement going on. And finally, Peter stands up, and he starts sharing about Jesus. And in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, we read this. Now imagine, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's half of the population of Madras. 3,000 souls in one day came to know Jesus as their Savior, and they were baptized in obedience. Yes. But look at the community that took place in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice the key word. They devoted themselves. Now, I toyed between using the word community, the great community here, or the great commitment. But I know by experience that many people are turned off by that word commitment. In our culture, we don't like commitment, right? I will be committed as long as I want to be committed, and then I will no longer be committed when it doesn't seem like it's right to be committed anymore, right? That's the commitment we have in our culture today. So I use the word community because imagine this community, a community of born-again believers. They were new believers in Jesus Christ, but they devoted themselves to each other. And when they got together, which, by the way, was each and every day of the week. But when they got together, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to teaching of doctrine. They were devoted to fellowship. To, and it wasn't just a potluck, although they ate together a lot. It was, it was more than that. Fellowship means the sharing of what's going on in my life. And they devoted themselves to worship, which I believe is the breaking of bread. It is a reference to, I believe, communion, where they worshiped together. They gave themselves over to worship, and they gave themselves, they devoted themselves to prayer. That's the community that they devoted themselves to. Now imagine with me, if you will, a family who is devoted to being in community with other believers. i got to be honest with you. The majority of people today are not devoted to that. The majority of even Christians today are not devoted to being together in the community of faith. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because if something better comes up, I'm over there. I will come to church as long as this doesn't interfere. And if this interferes, then I'm here. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be at Bible study unless I get a better offer over here. I got my kids in this and that and the other thing, and those things become priority. They've got to do those things. We've got to get them in those things. We've got to get a scholarship. We've got to do this for our kids. What about the Lord? I got to be honest with you. And I, please, I've got to back up. Every time I get in trouble when I say these things, I am not saying those things are bad. Those things are good. I'm not saying that don't have your kids in sports or whatever they're in. Please don't hear me say that. But do hear me say this. What's the priority? And what are you teaching your kids by that priority? I worked in youth ministry for many years, and it broke my heart to have parents come to me as the youth pastor and say, well, my kid doesn't want to go to youth group or my kid doesn't want to go to church. So I'm not going to make them. 
but your kid doesn't want to play sports, but you're making him play sports. Your kid doesn't want to go to the dentist, but you're making him go to the dentist. Your kid doesn't want to go to the doctor. You get it? I couldn't understand. It's all about priorities. Is there a devotion to the community of believers or not in the family? And I would hate to, I hate to say this, but, but as I look around, I don't see that much. Now, there are, there are exceptions. Please hear me say that. But see, a G4 family, I'm suggesting, is a family that's devoted to the community of believers. That's devoted, not just when it feels right and if it works in our schedule, we'll be there. But it becomes priority. I'm devoted to hearing the apostles teaching i'm devoted to being in fellowship i'm devoted to worship i'm devoted to praying with my brothers and sisters in christ and i'm bringing my family in that because that's how they too will learn to be devoted enough i'll get off my soapbox although i can because i'm preaching today right this is the place for me to preach so i can preach i'm just saying dear church that what we are envisioning is something different, something more than status quo, something that is going to encourage and, and, and grow our kids in the Lord. It is awesome that we have Shiloh and Lorraine and others who are helping them to take our kids. But before I end today, I want to give you two, two very important truths. We have talked about a G4 family. And we have talked about ministries toward G4 families. But the first thing you need to understand is the church is here in support, not as a substitute. In other words, I think the church has done disservice over the years when we have said to parents, bring your kids here. We'll teach them the Bible so that you don't have to. No! And I'm afraid many parents have that attitude. Oh, I'm going to send them to Sunday school so I don't have to teach them the Bible. No! The Bible reveals the responsibility lies with dad and lies with mom, not the church. And I could take you to various places, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Both places say it is especially the dad's responsibility, but both parents need to be involved in teaching their kids. That's why I'm saying the church is not a substitute for that. The church needs to be a support for that. As you teach your kids at home, the church needs a place where you can bring them and know that you are going to be supported in what you're teaching at home to your children. That's what Shiloh and Lorraine and Cornerstone Kids is all about. That's what Awana should be all about, a support. So we need to understand that. We're not a substitute. We want to be a support. But also there's one other thing I want to make mention here, and that is this. No family is perfect. And you're saying, but pastor, you don't know my family. You're probably not saying that at all, huh? You're probably going, you're right. You're right. I would admit to you wholeheartedly, we're not a perfect family. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about God's grace and how he worked in our family and raising our kids. I, I'm very, very grateful for his grace in that. But we are not perfect. There is no perfect family. That's why our vision is that we be a church family who is building 
great families. We never will arrive at building great families. We will never get to build a perfect family this side of heaven. So recognize that this is a a process. As long as we are here on earth, this is a process. We want to be growing in these things, building these families in these areas, and it will constantly be something we are striving for, but yet something we will never perfectly reach. So as we grow, as we build these families, recognize that he is the one who will do it. I, I am, I'm just so thrilled because God has taught me over these last couple of years, and some of, some of the points over the last couple of years have been pretty hard, pretty tough. But one of the things that God continues to amaze me with is this is his church. He will build it, not Jeff. He will build it, and guess what? He has and is building his church. That's why I say this is a picture. It's a snapshot of what we believe Cornerstone Baptist should be. We should be a church family building these G4 families. How? I don't exactly know. I've seen him work and move in Cornerstone Kids. I believe that's a step. And I look forward to the next step he's going to do in, in helping us achieve this vision. But ultimately, it's him who works through us. So would you pray with me to the one who is going to do this?